We just got done talking about how we have this ministry of reconciliation, only we're not done talking about it. We just started talking about it. And reconciliation is simply the ministry of reconciling all things to God, one conversation at a time. One conversation at a time. When you, if, if, if you would, were in this building, you would see on the foyer, there's a bridge built of 7,000 clothespins. And those 7,000 clothespins represent 7,000 conversations that people have committed to have with people who are different than they are, watch this, with God in the midst of that conversation. You know, taking that conversation and, and, and centering it around where God leads. And so that's where reconciliation starts. Now, we're, watch where we're going. In 2017, we're going to be talking about what it means to be kingdom-minded. Do you know that Jesus talked more about the kingdom of God than any other subject when he was down here on earth? But yet, no one really has been trained, or, or, or we don't know well how to think in kingdoms, kingdom terms. It's very different than worldly terms. Very different. You know, worldly terms, we got to win an election. Kingdom terms, doesn't matter. God still is going to win. And, and you've, got to, you've got to start to see the world like that. So we're going to teach you how to do that. All right? But in between, I'd like for you, those of you who are connected to Northland, to know kind of the DNA of this church. You know, every person is irreplaceable. Yeah, I've been telling you that for a long time, haven't I? You are fearfully and wonderfully made, knit together. Now watch, every church, irreplaceable. God has given us a role that he's not given anybody else. And he's also given us characteristics that you need to know about. What is the DNA of this church? What are, what are, the, what are the core characteristics of this church? So I'm going to take it just this week and next week to kind of unfold those for you in my experience of this church. First of all, um, we, need to, we need to understand um, that um, this church is all about focusing on God, period. They've always been like that. I came, as I came to this church, I learned some of the character of this church and was attracted to it. And, 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 and let, me, let me take you back just a little bit. 31 years ago, I was a senior pastor of one of the largest United Methodist churches in the north part of the United States. Everything was great. A huge staff, huge budget, huge respect, huge, 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 huge. And then I started waking up in the middle of the night every night with my heart all disturbed. Little did I know that somebody from this little broken congregation in Longwood, Florida, was praying, a half a dozen women were praying that God would disturb the heart of the pastor who was supposed to be their pastor. Well, guess what? When I was, was, was spoken to by God, I'm going to start you all over again. And I didn't know where I was going. Somehow I got, a, you know, God's sovereignty attached me to this church. So I applied to be the pastor of this church now. Now this church, less than 200, just been through a church split, wounded, walking, wounded, dysfunctional, wondering if they should even be a church. That, you know, you can, there's still some folks around who can tell you about that. As a matter of fact, Pastor Lon Garber, who's, who he and his wife, um, 
are, are doing the, uh, the, the uh, crafts to, to deliver this money to the, to the single, most of them single mothers who are trying to support families in Africa. Um, um, Lon Garber was the, the chairman of the elders that called me here. Um, and later on, he became a pastor. He's the first ever pastor retirement from this place. It's freaking me out because he's younger than I am. But we had a gathering, and there was many of those voices, those original voices back then. And I remembered the process of coming down here. And this quite hits the point of the message. These people were the most thoroughly competent and comprehensive, comprehensive people I'd ever known. I mean, you, you just expect somebody to go, oh, you're a big church specialist, a little church, well, come on down. I went through the most thorough, exhaustive, applicatory process I'd ever seen in my life. I had every test, vocational test, mental test, I mean, theological test, the thing was that big. And I'm thinking to myself, do these people know that they're just this little congregation in a rat-infested roller skating rink? Holy cow! <laughs> but what happened? In the midst of that process, here's what I knew about this church. This church prizes competence. This church does it, is so enamored with this God of excellence that they want to do things with excellence and that's how they honor God. There were people who were some of the smartest people I've ever met when I came down. I mean, there were, there were doctors and there were attorneys and there were engineers and there were heads of corporations and there were people who were part of parachurch ministries who knew, who knew way more of the Bible than I knew. But at the same time, there were people in this congregation who literally didn't know where their next, their next meal was coming from, who, who had all kinds of disabilities. I remember walking in that building the first time and, and, and they had just gotten these old throwaway pews donated. They were really happy. First Baptist Altamont just donated their old pews to us, you know, because they got all new ones. And there was a person upholstering these pews one by one she only had one hand. And she was doing a beautiful job. I mean, beautiful job. I thought, what a picture of the kingdom of God. People who have disabilities who still will give what they got with an, a level of excellence and be appreciated for it. It reminded me of a story. I, I heard this story about, um, and, and it's part of the character of this church. Everybody appreciates everybody for what they can offer. I, I, um, university uh, was offering this course in New Testament and everybody wanted to take this course because it was frankly an easy A. Because the professor had taught this for years and he never gave any homework and there was never any midterms. There was just one final. And he had asked the same question on the final examination for the last 20 years. And it was no secret as to what that question was. The question was, tell me about the missionary journeys of the Apostle Paul. All right, that was the question, everybody knew it. So there were like 50 people in this class because you know, people wanted to take this class and there was, there was a limit, but the 50, everybody, first 50 signed up. And so, so everybody just kind of set in, you know, and they were kind of generally, but this one guy, was, he loved God and he loved the New Testament and he loved the stories about the Apostle Paul so he learned them inside and out and just studied 
it, it was wonderful. Came to the final examination. Everybody files in the room. They got the blue books. Some of you remember, old enough to remember blue books. That's, that's how we did essay final exams. And they handed out the blue books. And then the guy did this. You know, they, they used to have uh, um, um, screens on rollers where, where, where they were like shades and you pulled down and it went up. He did that and it went up and written on the chalkboard was the question for the final examination. Critique Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Well, they all just went blank. I mean, it was like deer in headlights. It's like, ah! Well, they just started one by one, got up and started walking out because nobody had studied for that except this one guy. He just starts filling out his blue book, you know? Then he, get, then he takes another one. Then he takes another one. He filled out three blue books. Took him well over the allotted time. Handed it in. Next week, the, um, um, all the students came back in and the professor just handed out pieces of paper with their grade. 49 Fs. One A. It was to this guy. He, he, he did the final lecture, and then after class, everybody surrounded this guy and said, what did you do? And the guy opened up the first page of the returned blue book, and this was the first sentence. Who am I to critique the Sermon on the Mount by Jesus? Let me tell you about the missionary journeys of Paul. Let me tell you about this church. This church won't, won't ask for what you don't have. This church won't expect what you can't offer. This church will prize you for what you can offer. And that's what I loved about this church. They were so competent. I mean, they even sent spies to my church to ask around. The, and it was funny because about a dozen people from my, from my old church were here last night. They remembered it. Um, um, and we're still friends. We still love each other like crazy. But, but, but ask around the community. They were so comprehensive. What did we learn? That excellence is a part of how we love God. Excellence is a part. This church has never been about religious platitudes. Our theology is not something you can stick on a bumper sticker. It's not about cliches that help you to avoid the real situations of life. We want to talk about life as it really is and where God enters into that life as it really is. I love that. When I read about their doctrine of man, it was comprehensive. It didn't just take man as a religious being. It took man and, and all of our social and emotional and psychological and physical and, 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 and sexual um, components and address those. I love that because this is how Jesus taught us to love God. Do you ever, when, they, when they asked Jesus, when they said to him, what's the most important commandment? You remember what he said, right? You, this is what he said in, in, in Luke chapter 10, verse, 50, or, or verse 27. And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, watch this, emotions, with all your soul, spirit, with all your strength, behavior, and with all your mind, intellect. Jesus taught us a comprehensive approach to God and our neighbor because they are 
full people, not just religious souls. And so I love that. I love that about this church. I love the, the fact that this church says, you, do, you can't do everything. We don't expect you to do everything. Be good at what you do. And by good at what you do, we don't mean just in the church. We mean be good at what you do in the world, where you are. Your excellence is part of how you love God. Your competency is part of how you show His excellence. Because God is the God of all things. You know what it says in Colossians? I'm just going to read just a couple of three verses for you. Out of Colossians 1, which is a masterpiece. After it mentions Jesus, who's our Redeemer and Savior, this is what it says. And He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him, look at this, all things were created, both in heavens and on the earth, visible and visible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, watch this again, all things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before, look at it again, all things, and in Him, here it is, all things hold together, and He is also the head of the body, the church. Where does God want your excellence? In all things, not just in the church. Yeah, in the church. The church is connected to this because the creator of the world is also the head of the church. But God wants us to be really good at what we do in all things. That's how we will come to know him. Put up the, Revela or the, the Romans passage just for a second. Romans 1.20. It says, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. You realize that as you get better at what you do, as you get more fully informed in your area that God has given you to do, you will see God. This week, uh, my youngest son, who's a surgeon, um, sent a video. Harvard just did a $5 million CGI or computer generated imagery of what goes in on inside of a human, a single human cell. My wife is a microbiologist who taught biology to my son as he was going, as he was coming up and, and going into medical school. Now, your mother teaching biology can be good and bad, but we, we will leave some of the horror stories. But, but so Joel sends her this, this video and says, hey, since, um, since you're the first one who taught me what a phospholipid is, I thought you would appreciate this. She opens this video and she begins to watch this video and she begins to weep. Then she begins to worship. I watched the video and I went, huh. <laughs> now what was the reason for those two different reactions? She had the expertise in that area to understand the majesty and the artistry and the mystery of God. And it drove her to her knees. She saw God through what has been made. When you are good at what you do, you will see God. You will sense God. 
He will come through you doing what you can, can't do, what only he can do. Now, when I say competency, many times people think effectiveness, efficiency is more of a mechanical practice. That's not what God focuses on. Our mechanics are for his embrace. Our arrangements are for his love. Let me show you a pattern in scripture. And I, I'll tell you more about this later on, but, but, but I, just want to, I just want you to see a, a pattern that God established at the beginning of time, at, at the beginning of creation. It says in Genesis chapter one, verses one through three. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and void. Now in Hebrew, that is tovu bah. Bavohu, tovu bavohu. And what it means is this. It means that there was a state of the world where it was just pure chaos. There was no predictability. It was totally destabilized and destabilizing. And also there was an emptiness there. There was an ache of, 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 of a vacuum. Some of you know what that's like in your life right now. Your life seems chaotic. It seems destabilized. It looks like you've just been thrown into something because of your health or because of your relationships or because of, of something else where you just don't even know what's going on anymore. You just can't get your feet on solid ground. You know what that's like. My life is spiraling out of consistency. And you know what emptiness is. You know what it's like to have a void that you can't fill. Where you say there's something that ought to be there that's not there. There's, a, there's, a, there's an emptiness that, that I know God has a filling for. There's a dissatisfaction that I know pretends a satisfaction that he has for me. That's the point. You see, in scripture, God creates a void before he steps into it with its filling. God created chaos because he wanted the anticipation of structure. And with the next line, you see God himself, watch this. It says, the earth was formless and void and darkness was over the surface of the deep. Watch this, and the spirit of God was moving, some verses say hovering over the face of the chaos. The spirit of God is hovering over your life right now. And then God said, let there be light. Let me show you what he does for the rest of the creation in chapter one. He begins to separate the light from the darkness, not so that they can stay separate, but so that they can come back together and create an environment for life. Then he separates the heavens from the teeming waters, and then he separates the waters from the earth, not so that they can stay separated, but so that they can come together for the life 
the filling that he is going to put back into them. In other words, he creates the environment that is going to sustain the life before the life comes. Anybody does this who has any sense. If I want something to happen, I've got to create an, an environment, a structure, so that when it happens, it will thrive. That's exactly what God does. Those of you who are architects, you are architects, you know form follows function. In other words, if you want a certain function, you've got to build a structure that facilitates that function. Everybody knows this because it's a principle as old as creation. What does that say about us to us about competence? There are two ways you love. One is directly, one is indirectly. In order to sustain direct love, you've got to build structures that will support that love. And so when I talk about competence, when I talk about the approach of God, it's not just so that we can be better at what we do. God is not about getting better. God is about loving more. If God is love, it's always about how we love. If we're to be competent in something, it's so that we can love better, love God better and love each other better. And we are challenged to do exactly that. When the church begins to call out the gifts of all of us, not just the religious gifts, but the giftedness that God has given us to operate in our particular uh, vocation or our particular capacity, he wants us to be people who can love both directly and indirectly, both with our heart and with our competence. You know, let me, let me give you an example here. And I'm going to make some of you mad here, but, but it's just what I do. I, let me talk about men and women for a minute. Now I realize there's a, there's a spectrum and you're a sexist, you know? Well, I believe there's a gender, there, generally speaking, there's a gender variability here. Not every family has to look alike, honestly. Build your own family. But it does have to have two things. It has to have both direct love and indirect love. It has to have both an expression of love and a structure for love. Every family needs that. That's a creation principle. When I was growing up in high school, all, all the girls would take a class called home economics. Now here's where you're mad at me. Because girls, generally speaking, are better at loving than guys are. They're better expressing their love. You know, girls just are really good at just telling you what's on their heart and you know how they feel and all that kind of stuff. You know, most guys don't know. We don't know what to, we don't know what to do with it, let alone do it ourselves. And so, and so, but what they real, but but what most people realize back then is, you know, it's it's not enough just to be able to express how you feel. You got to create a structure in a household so that the family has a certain amount of capacity of safety and respect. And so the, the girls would be taught to cook um, um, and, and, and sew and, and um, do budgets and so on and so forth. In other words, they were just trying to say to, to girls, you feel well, but, but you need to create a structure. You need to be able to love indirectly as well as directly. 
all right? Guys, unfortunately, never had the counterpart. You know, we are the indirect people. I tell you what, I put a roof over your head. That's how I love you. I'll bring, I, you know, when, as long as I'm able, I'll, I'll provide for this family with a paycheck. I will protect this family. All of that is indirect love. All of that is structure, and that is so valuable. But the Bible says, husbands, love your wives. This is where we get stuck. We are not good at this. The Bible says, women, wives, respect your husband. In other words, don't tell me that my, my you know, I, I've got to get my priorities straight between work and a family. To me, my work is contributed to my family. It is a way I'm loving my family. But I realize what you're trying to say to me is we need a little bit more direct expression of this. I'm the very worst. I, I really, I, I've just, I've been brought up and, and it's tough for me to, you know, I, I told Becky the other day, I said, she came out and I said, man, you are gorgeous. You just look so good. Her eyes just kind of welled up. And I said, well, are you okay? <laughs> and she said, yeah, it just feels so good for you to say that. And I go, oh, I said, I say that all the time. She said, no, you really don't. <laughs> and I said, well, I do in my head. <laughs> See, we, 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 need to, we need to learn to love directly, guys. And we need to learn to love indirectly. God does both. God does both. And that's why the church needs to be recalibrated. You deserve to be loved directly and indirectly. You, you deserve in a church for them to miss you if you're not there. But let me ask you this. Do you think you're going to be missed by a group of 20,000 people? Some of whom will never see your face. No. That's why we have to reform the church, restructure the church with new wineskins. Because you need a structure that will promote the personal love, the indirect love that promotes the direct love. And so that's why what you saw with these high school students is the future of the church. But why those who structure the church are still valuable because we provide for those structures. We have those resources that will facilitate and help those relationships. All right, I've already gone too far because uh, I'll say more about this later on. But, but I want you to know something. God wants you to be really good at what you do. He wants you to be really good at what you do because it's, it's an important way to love him. And it's an important way to love others, to prize others by taking into consideration your own competency. It's not all about logic. It's all about love. You remember the, the movie, The Beautiful Mind, about Professor John Nash, who was a brilliant mathematician, but kind of dipped a little into mental illness, you know, because he was so smart, he kind of lost track of reality and unreality. He had a wife who loved him the whole time. The whole time. And ultimately, this is what he said as portrayed in that movie. I've always believed in numbers, 
and equations and, and, and logics that lead to reason. Been a part of the physical and the metaphysical and the delusional and back. And I've made the most important discovery of my life. It's only in the mysteries, mysterious equations of love that any logical reasons can be framed. Pray with me. Lord, help us to love both directly and indirectly, both with our heart and our competency. Make us good at what we do so that we can be better at how close we are. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.